Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, the voice of Hera on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Living Force Podcast. Know the code. You're listening to the Living Force. A Utini podcast. Hello, I see you over there. Episode 26, an interview with George Mann, author of Star Wars Myths and Fables. The Emperor has been expecting you. Here are your hosts. I have been expecting you. Eric Eilerson and Dr. Charles Henkel. I have tea, you have the sunlight, and all of us have episode 26 of the Living Force podcast. Welcome in. I am one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson. With me, as always, is Dr. Charles Hankel. Hey, buddy. Hello, hello. And in replacing Dr. Corey Helton, as we should have done 25 episodes ago, we have all the way from the UK, George Mann. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, many of you may know the name George Mann. Uh, he is an author of one of our favorite hits from this year, uh, Star Wars Myths and Fables, which we're going to dive into in a bit. Um, but he also is the author of a bunch of amazing material from cool properties like Sherlock Holmes, Doctor Who, as well as his very own projects such as The Steampunk Adventures of Newbury and Hobbes. And tonight we are going to touch on a lot of his work in Star Wars, a lot of stuff about myth. Uh, and a lot of stuff like that. So we are we are super excited. George, thanks again. Sounds great. All right. Can't wait to get stuck in. Absolutely. So we are going to dive in similarly uh, to how we always do by asking you just what was your very first experience with Star Wars as a property, uh, whether it be the films or whatever it was, and then what was your first experience with the expanded universe? Ooh, good questions. Um, so I th- I think my first experience, and it's because it's, I was very young, I think my first experience with Star Wars was watching The Empire Strikes Back at the cinema with my granddad. Oh, um, so I have I have very fond memories. Of, he used to take me to see a lot of films. We saw The Dark Crystal. We saw a Star Trek Search for Spock. Um, and I remember seeing Empire Strikes Back with him. I must have been kind of four, get five years old. That's kind of heavy um, for a four-year-old. <laughs> I know, yeah, I know. Um but I think he just took me to the films that he wanted to see, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. which, is, which is cool. You know, this is an excuse for it. Right. But yeah, I used to get, you know, sit there um, in the back suites and, and, and watch the show. And um, and I remember being absolutely blown away by it. You know, R2-D2 particularly, you know, it was at, the, at that age mm-hmm. was kind of this, um, this figure on the screen who, um, you know, completely fascinated me. And, um, and following that, my dad bought me the sticker book. Uh, oh. And started buying me all the action figures, mm. and I just fell deep down the well of Star Wars. So awesome! It, yeah, it was yeah. I think R two um, sticks with a lot of us when we're young because he's kind of like the perfect pet in a way, right? Like he's he's gonna follow yeah. you, but he can also like open doors and electrocute people. Like it's a great little, little combination <laughs> of a pet. That's it. He's like, uh, uh, you know, you want you want an R two by your side. I mean, even now I want an R two by my oh, side. Yeah. To be honest, he's like, what, he's what a cool dude. Yeah. Um, but I also think there's something about um, the size of him as well. He's like a, the closest you got to a child in those films yeah. is in terms of size, at least until you get the Ewoks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of he's got a, a, a smaller person's perspective on the universe as well. I love that. And then how did you jump into uh, to the EU? So was it any books? or I know Kevin Scott, who we had on earlier, jumped into the Marvel comics back in the day. Yeah, so I had the comic. I think it's probably the same. Um, UK reprints of the the Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of slightly outsized, different and to the the US standard comic um and often in newsprint as well but yeah i remember i, I 
getting a bunch of those secondhand actually from car boot sales. Oh yeah. Um, and um, and just sitting and reading all these these amazing new adventures, and then later actually I got at the, at the age of fifteen I got um, kind of a Saturday weekend job at a bookstore, um, and realizing properly for the first time that there were all these novels um, that expanded the the Star Wars universe. So delving into those as well and things like Splinter of the Mind's Eye, yes. uh, the the original um, Thrawn stories, you know the X Wing pilot stories, um, so. You know, I, I don't know all of the EU, but I've I've dipped into quite a, a lot of it here and there and, and loved everything I've read. Yeah. Well, you just named some heavy hitters there, so it sounds yeah. like you're, yeah, you're yeah, pretty exactly. well-educated in that respect. Oh, I was lucky, lucky being in a bookshop because I could see which books were the ones that were the most popular. Yeah. Go, oh, oh, yeah. Okay. These are the ones that everyone's reading. Right, I'll, I'll follow those. Absolutely. Shout out the Empire as well. That's great. So, you know, George Lucas, uh, whenever he created A New Hope, and ever since then, he's been quoted many times as saying that really what he was seeking to do was to create modern-day mythology. Uh, he said that there yeah. was really no modern-day mythology in, in storytelling for the kids in, in that generation, so initially in the 70s, and, um, and that really was his mission. So in your own words, what exactly is a myth, and how does Star Wars fit into that? Wow. Um, I, th- I think myths for me are archetypal stories. They're stories that um, are rich in fantasy, but also um, have a moral core to them. Or, um, you know, they, 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 you learn something by reading them. They t- they're, they're, the, they're the means by which um, people are taught. And I think that's why, we've, you know, if you look back to all the way back to Greek mythology and, and Aesop's fables and, you know, it's the transmission of ideas. Um, and and, all, and the transmission of um, of morals and, and helping people find their moral compass through through example, mm. I suppose. So um, I think it's part. I think myths really are part of the oral tradition of storytelling that goes back to you know presumably early man and when you're sitting around the fire before people were writing stories down. And I'm sure they were telling stories. Oh yeah. Um, and I think it's part of that tradition. Um, and I think what George Lucas absolutely achi- achieved with Star Wars is is that goal of going here's here's a modern story that feels like it belongs in that canon of, of ancient myth. Um, it's a story that has wide appeal um, that, that shows you, shows you the way, you know, you, uh, there's very clearly um, delineated good guys and bad guys. And so, so as a kid, you can latch onto that, you know, which guys you're supposed to be rooting for and which ones you aren't. But then I think has that wonderful thing of, as the story developed over the years became more complex so that it can be, viewed or read on different levels so now that you've got the you know the, the gray of of what happened with anakin and and kind of understanding his fall and where he was coming from that he was doing things for what he felt were the right reasons and, and all of those kind of bits of complexity so that as an adult you can bring your own experience to the to the myth of star wars and find more depth in it but as a child you've still got those you know child experience for the first time and i've, I've seen this with my children that kind of really clear good guys and bad guys, light side, dark side, you know, um, and, and helping those children to go, okay, if I ever face a, a situation where I, uh, I'm not sure, perhaps something I've learned from Star Wars will help me choose the way. Yeah, um, yeah. So. I, I love that because, I mean, as a, as a kid, I was obsessed with Greek mythology, and, I mean, some of the stories, as messed up as they get, the older you get and read more, uh, I think they, yeah, they do yeah. have a really interesting thing about good and evil and you're totally right as you, as you grow up you get to ha- get a little more complexity with each year and the myth just kind of opens up i love that and i think you know, you you're right i mean obviously you know i'm we're gonna, i'm sure we're going to come on to myths and fables book but um 
I was drawing a lot from Grimm's fairy tales mm-hmm. with that as well. And yeah. going back and looking at some of those original tales, some of them are really brutal. You think of them as, as children's yeah. stories, but you read, you read Hansel and Gretel, the original version of Hansel and Gretel, I think it's, you know, she's going to cook those kids oh, yeah. and they cook her instead. Yeah. And, you know, and you go, wow, okay. Yeah. You know, this is a story for kids. But of course, again, within that fantasy story is, is a moral about, well, being careful about strangers and not, you know, not going into people's houses and, um, you know, and not trusting people um, if you're not sure about them. Yeah. Uh, so it's got that kind of moral thing running through it as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now speaking of influences, uh, you know, you mentioned Grimm there. George Lucas has also been very, very open about how much he drew on Joseph Campbell's um, work for Star Wars um, with the hero's journey and all that. Um, did you, for this book, because Joseph Campbell does work so much on the mythic structure and storytelling, did you draw on any of Joseph Campbell's theories for myths and fables, or were there other kind of uh, researcher theories that you latched on to? Not specifically, although I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of them, mm-hmm. and I think I've absorbed them, so I think some of that happens naturally anyway sure. now because of, of, of years of writing and, and bearing those sorts of things in mind. Mm-hmm. But no, it was... It, it was very much actually. It was the it was the following the the format set by the Grimm's fairy tales yeah. mm-hmm. was 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 what I was aiming for because yeah. I wanted that tone. Um, so that was a major influence. And, and although I did go and look at the Greek myths and ancient Egyptian mythology and um, British folklore as well, which is full of weird, creepy nonsense, right. um, <laughs> which I absolutely adore. Um, I kept coming back to the, the kind of the structure of, of Grimm's fairy tales as the um, the way of telling these stories as well. Yeah, I mean, and that absolutely reads. I, I remember as as we were reading on our team, we were at our, we were jumping in our company Slack channel, and I remember saying like some of these stories as I was reading them like at night before bed, which I assume is the proper way to read these. Uh, <laughs> absolutely, it, it brought me back to to hearing some of those stories as a kid. Because some of them end really dark, and but some of them did yeah. give you a little bit of that levity, and and I, the way that you kind of navigated that tone was very reminiscent of Grimm. So yeah, that makes absolute sense to me. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely what I was. What we, well, I say, I we working with the Lucasfilm team, absolutely, we're trying to do with a book. Yeah, great. Well, you nailed it. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, and we're going to dive a little more into specifics about that book in just a second. But first, we're going to take a real quick break a little early and hear from a member of our Utini team. And then we will be right back with George Mann of Star Wars Missing Fables. Be right back. Hello there, Living Force listeners and fellow Star Wars fans. Podcast editor Matt Davenport here. Now, in past cameos, I've talked about my favorite EU books and my love of the Star Wars comics. Today, I want to tell you about my experience with the Star Wars trading cards from Topps. Now, before any EU book was released, before any action figure hit store shelves, there were the Topps trading cards. I was in the third grade and had just started at a new school, and the prevailing feeling on the playground was, we gotta catch them all. The cards became like currency on the blacktop. Before Pokemon, before Beanie Babies, Star Wars trading cards were how we built our elementary empires. Now Economics 101 teaches the law of supply and demand, and there was a huge demand for this cardboard currency. Because I was new to the school, my parents drove around the neighborhood to familiarize themselves with the area, and while driving around, the family stopped into a little mom-and-pop corner market called Friendly Fred's. At the counter, I saw that they were selling the Star Wars cards. Now, this market was just two blocks away from my new school, and as the school year began, I hatched a plan. During lunch recess, I would sneak off the school grounds and purchase packs of cards from Fred's. 
Soon the other kids would give me their money to buy packs for them. My fee? I would just get first pick of one card in their pack. They could keep the gum. I built a cardboard kingdom on that playground, and that's how I got into collecting the Star Wars trading cards. Now let's send it back to Eric Charles and special guest George Mann on the Living Force Podcast. And we are back! Now we will escape from the reality of that great clip back into the myth of Star Wars Myths and Fables. <laughs> so welcome back. We are with George Mann and Dr. Charles Hankel, who I'm going to throw it to for this next beautiful question. Yeah, so we, you know, we talked a little bit about the background of myths and what it means to Star Wars and how Star Wars fits into that idea. But now we really want to dive in deep into what you actually wrote, what you've actually contributed okay. to the expanding universe. So if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about how the idea for Myths and Fables first came about? Like whose idea was that? Who all worked on it? How did it come to be? Okay, yeah, sure. So um, I was I was very lucky in that um, I was approached by Michael Siglane, who's the creative director of Lucasfilm Publishing. And um, I'm sure you guys know of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, what happened, um, I'd met Mike socially, really. Um, and he'd... Um, he picked up one of my books. He's a, he's a big fan of horror. Mm-hmm. And I'd written a novel called Witchwood, which is a kind of a British crime horror novel, um, and taken it away and read it. Um, and then when I saw him again a few months later, he said, oh, I, I've, I've read Witch, Witchwood and I really um, loved it. And um, now the, part of the thing about Witchwood is it's it, the crimes are based on this kind of fictional mythology about a, a kind of Saxon warlock. Um, and... Um, and his, and his kind of posse, um, and Mike said to me, you know, did, was that based on real mythology, or is that something that you created? And I said, oh, no, I created it for the for the story. And he kind of just looked at me and went, do you think you could do that for Star Wars? <laughs> yes, please, yes, please, I would love to do that for Star Wars. Maybe um, I could find it, sure. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, so yeah, I, and so I was blown away, and, um, and he said, well, I've got an idea for a book, um, and it's a kind of Grimm's fairy tales for Star Wars, um, and I think you'd be the perfect guy to write it. I was like, oh, wow, you know, this is a massive bucket list moment for me to, um, to get a Star Wars, uh, anything, to contribute anything to the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah, so we had a you know bit more of a conversation about it, and then I went away and generated a whole bunch of ideas for stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, probably 25, 30 ideas for stories initially. Wow. Um, which I sent their way. Um, and then the team at Lucasfilm, so Mike and Caitlin Kennedy was made it to there. Um, and this, the guys in the story team, story group, um, looked over and gave, picked, picked the ones I like best, gave, um, gave me some feedback. I am, um, I, again, I was just coincidentally really lucky enough to, to be visiting because my brother lives in LA. Oh, wow. He works in the film industry. Mm. Um, so I, I happened to be visiting my brother, um, and around the time we were trying to consolidate which stories we were going to go with, so I, I, um, I said, "Well, you know, I can pop down to San Francisco. I'm here." And so um, <laughs> I, I managed to, you know, pop into the Lucasfilm offices, Perfect. I sit with Just casual, sit with these guys, <laughs> sit with Story Group, and talk through these stories. And Story Group were, were tremendous because mm-hmm. they, were, you know, giving me some feedback on, you know, maybe if we put this slant on this one and this slant on this, one, maybe you could include this a, a existing character in this story, and you know. Um, just give me so much leeway to to tell the stories I wanted to tell, which was a real surprise to me. I've written time fiction for a few different universes, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes, and I, I guess I'd always assume that the, the Star Wars stuff would be really nailed down. You know, you can you can't you can do this, but you can't do that. 
And I don't know whether that's a symptom of the fact it's a book of myths or whether it's, um, you know, just because I've managed to navigate through the, the, the choppy waters with the, the ideas I was pitching, but they were really relaxed about it. And just, yeah, you go ahead and, and, and do your thing. Wow. Um, We've heard that actually from other authors as well. Um, right. And when you so hear that the, there's a story group, it sounds very intimidating, but... From what we've heard from other people and from what you're saying, it sounds like it's actually very open for creative ideas and uh, for yeah. you know multiple people working together to put out the best story that you can. Exactly that. They were really encouraging. Yeah. Um, so um, and you know, I mean, I never thought I'd be I'd be allowed to create a new Sith Lord or you know, yeah. like new planets and, and and stuff. But but yeah, I mean, you know, they they just went great. Yeah. Go for it. That's amazing. Like in in a way, the story group has almost become its own myth online because people just assume <laughs> there's like this this magical world where where all of Star Wars is created and writers have to go in a, a dark room where Matt Martin just looks <laughs> over them as they write. <laughs> it's, just, it's good to hear that's not well, the case. I'm not I'm not saying that that's definitely not the true, case. True. <laughs> <laughs> this is what Matt Martin told him to say today. <laughs> We see the projector you're reading off. It's fine. Can I either confirm or deny? <laughs> uh, I think my biggest um, takeaway from that story, though, might actually be uh, that I need to pick up Witchwood by George Mann. So absolutely, <laughs> I'll, I'll be looking yeah. that up. I mean, it's it's very different from from the Star Wars stuff, but it's but it's at its heart, it's got that kind of that love of mythology and folklore, and I think that's what Mike was picking up on. Really, you know, saw that I I could weave a, that type of story. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, touching on your your kind of belief and skill with, with myth and folklore, I want to touch on the introduction to the book because the introduction was something that I read um, with with, uh, with an early copy I was luck- lucky enough to get from Lucasfilm, and I, I sent some stuff to the team. I was like, guys, this introduction just stopped me in my tracks because it, it said something that really struck a chord with all of us because you, you wrote something that spoke towards our central beliefs here, which is when it comes to Star Wars, it doesn't quite matter – if a book is strictly legend or strictly canon, all that matters is kind of the story, right? And you wrote that so yeah. beautifully. Now, c- can you explain kind of what made you decide to put that in the introduction? Because I feel like sometimes introductions in books kind of get glossed over or they're they're fine, there's something, but that, that seemed really kind of personal. Yeah, I think it is personal. Um, and, you know, and I was really delighted that I was allowed to, to, to express that sentiment there. Um I think it comes from years of, of of being a fan, both of Star Wars and of other properties like Doctor Who. Um, so before writing for, for Star Wars, I'd written a lot of Doctor Who. And um, one of the things I, you know, I see a constant debate in Doctor Who fandom about canon. Is this canon? Is this not canon? Is this, and, and with Doctor Who, because it's got you know time travel and um, think events get rewritten and things, there's this constant debate about, well, did that story really happen or not? And you kind of go, well, Actually, my philosophy over the years has become, of course, they happen. They all happen. Right. Uh, um, a story is a story, and, it, and if it and if it works for you and it touches you and it and, and you get enjoyment out of it, well, then that's got to be canon. Now, I know there's there's, there's clear definitions of canon in Star Wars, and, and I and I understand why there has to be, so that um, the films that they're building at the moment, the, the books that they're building at the moment, feel cohesive and they and they relate properly to each other. Um, and, I, and of course, it's a huge job to keep everything in, every, in, in people's heads. You know, I've not read all of the EU books no, yet. I'm writing neither. Star Wars, you know? <laughs> but I think that one of the things I really loved about writing this book was that it feels like it's on the borderline between both camps. Yeah. It's you know, 
the so they're canon in the sense that these are stories that are told within the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm to uh, people talk uh, you know, around campfires or to their children at bedtime, the sort of stories that Luke or Leia might have heard. But at the same time, the, the canonicity of the specifics is, is in question because the, it's, the idea was that they're seen through many filters. You know, that they, these are, that's, that's how myths are transmitted. Right. You know, that they, they might have been an original event and it's been interpreted and seen through different cultures and different time periods and, and different voices to become the story that you're hearing now. Does that mean there is there is or isn't a Darth Kaldoth? I think, yeah, I like to think there probably is a Darth Kaldoth mm-hmm. in history, in canon. Did he specifically do the events that are set out in that story in the way they set out? That's a bit more of a question because it's a myth. Right. Um, it's been transmitted. So, um, and that's how I feel about, about kind of as a, as a fan, about canon in general. I suppose as a storyteller, I always like to think that... Um, Story comes first, mm. canon comes second. Love that. Um, yeah, and and you know, and I, you have to respect canon, of course you do, and I absolutely do. But I'll never not pitch a story because because something in canon says I can't, and then I'll have the conversation with the the editors about, well, okay, can we can we nudge it this way, and nudge it that way, and still make it work? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it will, and sometimes it won't. Mm-hmm. But I think. Um, yeah, it was that's I guess that's that's my overall perspective, and, and, that's, and that's very much the approach to the book. I I think that's perfect. I think that a lot of times nowadays there can be so much scrutiny that you lose the forest for the trees, and just because this character is in a ship and the ship had a different name in that other book that was written seven years ago, doesn't mean you can't enjoy the story for what it is. You know what I mean? Exactly. It, it's those kind of little things that can really just take away from the experience. Just sit back and enjoy the ride. That's what we're all here to do. That's why we're all Star Wars fans is because of how much fun it is. And I think you lose the fun when you get into into that kind of stuff. I think there's a risk of it, yeah. yeah. And and it's um it's such a big universe as well. Yeah. You know, all all of this stuff can have happened. Oh yeah. All of it. Absolutely. Um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You know, we don't know half of what the ancient Egyptians were doing and that was only what three four thousand years ago yeah. you know yeah um we've got a f- fragments of their civilization yeah. well you know that's what these are these are myths like that that are um recovered stories from ancient history oh. from, a, from a fantasy universe 100 percent, 100 percent. um so i'd love to ask you a little bit more about those um those myths in particular some of the ones from from your book uh if sure you yeah don't mind so um, to start things off, I am an avid fan of the character of Kenobi. Uh, he is my all-time favorite character in all of Star Wars. I uh, I will have to be careful right now not to just turn this into an entire conversation about <laughs> Kenobi. But I'm also a really big fan of John Jackson Miller's novel of the same name, uh, Kenobi. And we um, actually had uh, John Jackson Miller on the show not too long ago and got to talk to him about that. And I know you had mentioned that uh, maybe you hadn't read a, a ton of the old Legends material and Kenobi was Legends, but um, I couldn't help but notice a lot of similarities between that novel and your story, The Knight and the Dragon. And so I was curious if you were inspired by any of Miller's work uh, in that novel or um, if you weren't, kind of what made you choose that story to start off your book? Sure. So, um, so I've not read John's novel. I've read uh, some of his other novels mm-hmm. and, and, and loved them, um, but that's not one of the ones I've read. Um, and, I've, and a couple of people have said afterwards, "Oh, you know, it gels quite well with with." It really does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, which is brilliant to hear. 
Um, and I, I guess it's a symptom of um, drawing on the same source material. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I approached that story was I wanted to do a George and the Dragon story. So mm-hmm. there's a few stories in the book where I've got where it's clear, you know, the starting point was um, Darth Vader is the boogeyman. Right. And there are others where I kind of went, well, I want to do a Hansel and Gretel type story. I want to do a, um, you know, George and the Dragon. And that, and that's very much what I was doing here. And I thought, well, you know, the Knight and the Dragon. And, and it, as soon as I thought about that, well, it, it had to be the Jedi Knight, a Jedi Knight and it had to be the Crate Dragon. Yeah. Um, it just seemed like the best fit. Um, and some of these things, sometimes they just click. I've had another one happen with the, uh, again, jumping ahead mm-hmm. with the, the new book, the, the Dark Legends book, which I'm sure we'll come on to later. But mm-hmm. there was, there's, there's the Grand Inquisitor is Nosferatu. And I kind of went, oh no, that's just, that just Perfect. fits. You yeah. know, <laughs> it's one of those things where you just go, uh, this, it, it, it just clicks into place. And that was what happened here. I just kind of went, right. Um, the, the warrior knights protecting people from, um, from the, the dragon and um i kind of thought well okay well how can i how can i book expectations here and i thought well we're going to make it um some people um who are being protected mm-hmm. um because you know they're often portrayed as the bad guys or you know tuscan raiders you know, and i just thought well what's their perspective on it and that again that's one of the things i was trying to do with some of these stories to go let's put a different perspective mm-hmm. uh, in place and you know so yeah so what's their perspective on um on the dragon and the knight who came out of the desert to save them, and, um, and you know how do they how have they transmitted that story over the years? Yeah, yeah, I I think that's great. You mentioned that you know this may have been a similar theme in in your short story and in John Jackson Miller's novel because of drawing from the same source material. But I think it's also from um, understanding the characters really well and the cultures and, and what they might think about it. Because the fact that you all came up with very similar um, views on the Tusken Raiders and how they might view a Jedi and, and the Krayt Dragon. I mean, it's, it's astonishing, but it shows that you understand the material really well, whether or not you've talked about it, whether or not you've even read his work. Um, so that's fantastic. But I, Yeah, and I think it's, I think that's, that's a, a tribute to, to George Lucas, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think for, yeah. um, for painting such a vivid picture in the first mm-hmm. place, um, that it, it's inspired us um you know i i think you know when i talk to other star wars writers it's you know they're constantly in awe of the original material and i think that's that's what's going on there oh absolutely absolutely um now i know that you mentioned too that you you noticed the copy of your book up here on my bookshelf and you know i can't help but notice that the cover is you know the the image that was associated with the knight and the dragon um so what did you decide that that was going to lead off the book? And did you decide that that was the image that you wanted on the front? No. Um, I, I mean, I suppose it was always, it, funnily enough, it was always the first story. It was uh-huh. the, um, the first story on the, um, on the pitch document that I put together. Um, and, um, and it's, and it just stayed being the first story. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, the guys at Lucasfilm decided on the running order of the stories. Right. Um, and I think, um, I think I guess it's it's one of the stronger um, kind of easy to capture images. You know, it's, it's that kind of knight with the lightsaber yeah. and, and the a dragon. dragon. It's, it's going to draw people in, but it also tells you something immediately about the book because it's clearly not Star Wars you've seen before. Right? It's not you know it's not a it's not a portrait of Obi Wan. It's a some per, person's interpretation mm-hmm. of a knight fighting a flying dragon. Well, obviously we know great dragons don't really have wings. Yeah. Um, you know, so immediately, you know, you're in a land of myth within star Wars as well, right? With that image. And 
I just have to take a moment just to say Grant Griffin's artwork is amazing throughout it's the whole book. Tremendous. No My God. Um, yeah, he's lifted the book. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I just feel so lucky to, to, to have my stories associated with that artwork. Yeah. It's and it's amazing because, you know, us, us on uh, at the Living Force in Utini, we, between all of us, we've read a bunch of stuff. I feel like we, we're pretty knowledgeable. But I got to say, none of us guessed that that cover was a crate Dragon when it first got announced. So yeah. that, that reveal when you read the story and realize what was happening is so beautiful because you're absolutely right. Instantly, we realize, okay. These can be twisted because we fought a crate dragon in Kotor or a scene whatever, and, uh, and now it's like, oh, it, these are gonna flip these things on their head, and this beautiful artwork is gonna kind of guide us through, and it was super effective. Yeah. It was really inspiring to me. Like what we did once we worked out what the stories were gonna be, as I wrote them, we'd kind of so we kind of we had the outlines I'd done, and um, and we, then we worked out an art brief between me, myself and and um, and Lucasfilm, the editor Lucasfilm, Caitlin. We worked out what the art brief was going to be for Grant, so I had kind of an idea, like a paragraph idea of what the art might look like. But then it would come in, and I'd I'd be working on that story, or I'd not be, or it would be the next story I was going to write, and I'd get this piece of artwork, and it was just it inspired me so much to get back to the keyboard to write, because I wanted to write the story of those people in that artwork. Although I didn't actually talk to Grant directly during the process, he played a huge part in the writing of the book by with with his art and, and, and by delivering the art the way he did. Yeah. I mean and, and as as we we, de- we definitely will get on to Dark Legends later on, but oh man, we cannot wait to see more of his work uh next sure. year. Yeah, yeah. Neither can I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now now to jump to another story, you did mention this already, uh the Dark Wraith, right? Your your story about uh about Vader. Yeah. Uh you wrote about yeah. another fan favorite uh with Obi Wan and then Vader but rather than enforcing the will of the Emperor, as he usually does, we saw him in this story, he was enforcing the rules of the town, right? So, so what led to, to that decision to kind of use him as a, you know, if you don't obey the rules, Vader's going to get you? So again, it's, it's that idea of what, you go back to the roots of what, what is a, a, a boogeyman, really? Um, and and why, why would child, parents tell their children that sort of tale? And you always, to, to make them behave. Again, it's, try, it's 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 looking at the perspective of of some normal people in the Star Wars universe. You know, we tend to in the, a lot of the stories we tend to follow Jedi and Sith, um, you know, high-ranking rebels, powerful officers, but we don't often talk about the little guy. Um, and and on a you know on most planets in the in the Star Wars universe, they're not really gonna know what a Jedi or a Sith is or right. if they do they've got you know it's it's seen through that mythological filter these you know these are guys who live out in the stars most of these people haven't been to space but you know they yeah. live with it yeah they might not have even left their city yeah mm-hmm. I mean that's, that's one of the big conversations I love to have about people wondering how do people not know that the Jedi were real 30 years after I'm like well did you live on Coruscant probably not yeah you know <laughs> exactly that exactly that so so what they've got is this kind of um transmitted memory I, I hesitate to call it a race memory because it's not not a genetic thing but mm-hmm. like a, a transmitted memory of this horrible terrifying black clad boogeyman with a um with a, a flashing blade of red that comes and destroys things mm-hmm. you know they've maybe they've lost the, the real reason that he was doing that maybe there was a jedi he was searching for maybe there was um they were they, they were in rebellion, mm-hmm. and he was quelling a rebellion in the, in that city at the time for the emperor. But what's happened is years and years and years later, 
all they know is that this if you misbehave i.e if you rebel then um this thing these these this terrible thing from the um can come down from the sky and um and attack you and you know and lay waste <laughs> and, and it won't just be you it'll be all your neighbors yeah. as well like it gets and you think well okay that's there's an interesting story in that because it's it's Vader seen from a normal person's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, why why would they don't know anything about politics? No. It, universal politics. Um, so um, so they're yeah that's their perspective on why he would come. It's because well people are misbehaving, they're rebelling, children are rebelling against their parents, mm-hmm. and we know what happens to rebels. Yep. <laughs> you know? so do your homework, so, or you will be destroyed. Yeah. yeah exactly so exactly in the, in the future when uh when i have kids and i tell them to go to bed and they're not listening i should just put on the rogue one clip of vader in the hallway <laughs> like this is what Absolutely. happens <laughs> oh that's amazing yeah. I, I love that you actually used him that way um i think that's really really Thanks. cool what i want to do was something different something tell us tell a story in a way that hasn't been told before in, in star wars yeah um so it I was always looking for that angle with the stories. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I love that the town, by the way, I don't think we mentioned it, is called uh, Solus. That was that was great. <laughs> a nice little touch there. Um, <clears throat> so while you used a lot of you know the best-known characters in Star Wars, we mentioned Obi-Wan, Vader. You also created some of your own, and you've mentioned some of them already. You mentioned uh, Darth Kaldoth already. But there was also the Wanderer. There was Rai Nimbus. There was uh, Shellish the Witch. There were many more. And I was wondering if there was any of those characters who had a particular inspiration from myth or from someone you know in real life. I don't know. Just, just how did you come up with these characters? Um, good, good question. Um, it's the thing I love most, actually, in mm-hmm. my writing, in, in 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 the activity of writing, is is creating new characters. And um, I need to just drop in that actually Shellish and Awachi are, are not my creations. They were in Star Wars Uprising, the at the mobile game. Oh, oh, wow. I didn't even know this. Yeah, yeah, that's where they're from. Um uh so yeah, so that was a that was a personal callback because I was doing my research and going, you know, the Night Sisters got obliterated. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any that could still be alive? And uh, in Star Wars Uprising, Shellish was was living on the moon of Jarl. Oh, fantastic. And I thought, wow. With with a black Wookiee called watching, I'm like, right, I'm I'm going to use that, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, and that that was one that actually where um, the guys at Story Group were like, I can't believe anyone's actually picked up some characters from Star Wars Uprising to use in a new story. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so to go back to your, your question, yeah, I mean, um, it's something I'm always looking to do. To be honest, is to is to create um, new characters because um, I love I do love writing about like Vader or, or Obi Wan. Um, I I, you know, to get a chance to play with those toys, um, yeah. what it is like playing with the toys that I had on it as I was a kid, <laughs> and, you know, and, 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 and creating stories like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there's always, they're kind of protected by plot armor, if you see what I mean. 100%, so, so yeah. you know, I, I can't kill Obi-Wan in the story. Nope. Even in a myth, it's it's not going to work. Because we right. know that he's, that he's alive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so creating new characters and then hoping you can make people care about them um, then allows you that kind of that sense of um, of risk and, and a reader's not knowing what's going to happen in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there was, there was kind of, that was part of the tactic and, and part of it was just me going, I just want to create new characters in Star Wars. I wanted to create a new Sith Lord. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> who, who does? doesn't, yeah, who doesn't want to create a new Sith Lord? Yeah. Um, who is a Duros, like said, by the way? Then that, and that yeah, really spoke Duros. to me. 
We had an RPG and I played a Joros. I love that that species. So, so cool. Thank you. Oh, thank too. you for doing that. I, no problem. I'm trying to get, um, at the moment, you, they did an action figure of a Duros years ago. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to find one so that I can make a Darth Kaldoth out of it. And put, oh, put I mean, all right, we'll put the call out to the Living Force audience. Someone <laughs> help you. out George Mann. Yeah, get tweet this at us. Get us, that, get us that figure. One of you has it in the basement. Come on. <laughs> I was looking around all of New York Comic Con trying to find one, but they couldn't find one. Oh. Um, so yeah, I mean, how I come up with them, I don't know. I mean, I suppose part part of it is dictated by the story in the sense mm. you go, um, what type of story do I want to tell? And with with Gaze of Stone, I wanted to tell a story that was true to the the Sith. In the uh, you know, it's a, about betrayal and um, and fear and anger and jealousy. Um, and envy, and so, but what's the best way to do that is to create two new Sith. So you, again, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, and uh, that is it is a just personally that is the most horrifying story in the book to me. I mean, I remember reading that and just it, it's it was chilling. Real once I realized what was happening, and and you you realize the twist that's happening, and just kind of as a reader, you know, you can't stop it. But I see yeah. what's going to happen. That was very very traditionally like uh, myth fairy tales scary i think you know because i think yeah. turning to stone also like there's so many great stories about turning to stone i think that's something that yeah. us as people are really scared of weirdly i think that keeps yeah. showing up it's it's kind of like a um a base fear isn't it like being buried alive mm-hmm. falling and being turned to stone and there's probably a few others as well yeah. um and yeah so it's it's um absolutely kind of wanted to, to pull on that thread but but yeah it's it's uh, I guess part of the part of the story there is about inevitability. If you follow that path, mm-hmm. some inevitably one thing um, is going to happen, which is that you're going to die, or or you know, well, I suppose you are eventually. Right. Um, so, um, so yeah, and that's one of the stories that gets picked up the most when, uh, by by fans who've read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people, quite a lot of people have said to me, "Oh, that's my favourite story in there." Yeah. Um, it, it's mind mind flips. Depending on um, on my mood, some, some days it's that one. Some days it's the witch and the wookie. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I so yeah, so I, I love writing new characters, and um, there's an interesting thing about the Wanderer because um, everyone's assumed it's a new character, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I'm not going to confirm or deny. But when I um, when I talked to uh, the story group guys about it, we kind of went, "Oh, which which of the Jedi could it be?" And we talked about which. Uh, existing character it might be um Uh, so um it might be thoughts yeah (laughs) so it might be might be or it might be i mean that's the beauty again of leaving things ambiguous is that people can fill their own space and and go right no i want it to be a new character and that's cool yeah um or it might be an existing character as well and that would that would fit as well yeah because my my biggest question i love the wanderer as well was where did the wanderer go and it, maybe if I knew that answer, then I could confirm whether or not it is <laughs> yeah, yeah. who it might be. Did he go to Octo, um, maybe? Like, who knows? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not saying. <laughs> All right, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> um, so when, when Mrs. Fables was first announced, there was a, potentially a slight misconception that it was a purely children's storybook. Um, but s- since we've gotten our hands on it, both on the Living Force and Utini, we've been kind of telling people that that's not exactly it. Um, but in your mind, when you were creating it, 
who was this book written for? And, and even more than that, do you think there's an ideal age for mythology? I know we, we talked earlier, it kind of evolves, but do you think there's a perfect time in your life when you're kind of oh, That's a good it? question. So it was written for all ages, mm-hmm. and, and I genuinely mean that. It was like, so I've written mostly for adults in my life, but I have written for children before. Mm-hmm. And I'm very much of the belief that um, to write for children, you don't write down. Yes. You, oh my gosh, yes. Um, you just you just tell them the story. Um, so at no point did I think I have to modify the way I'm writing this because a child's going to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, if there's a few words in there that the child doesn't know, and they ask their their parents about it or the teacher about it, or they look it up, mm-hmm. then then maybe that child's learned a new word, and that's that's a great thing. Exactly, yeah. um, love that. So that's kind of so I I, I approached it like that. Um, we did have to make sure. Well, actually, no. All the way through, I kept thinking. I'm sure when this gets to Lucasfilm, they're going to say you can't have the dragon digging up children and eating them, or you can't you know, <laughs> so have great. this person. You know, and I, I was kind of expecting that all the way, and at no point did they did they say that. So, so it went through, and um, and again, I, I think if you go back to those original Grimm's fairy tales and you see things like the children in the oven, mm-hmm. um, in, mm-hmm. the, in the witch's house, and Hansel and Gretel, and you think, well. Okay, then what we're doing is being true to the, the type of story that we're writing, which is already sold as children's fiction, right? Um, but also as classics of literature. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so I was, I was thinking all ages when I wrote it. I've got a sixteen-year-old son, and he's been—he was—he's been my test for every story that comes off the printer. I go, read that before I do anything else with it. Oh, that's cool! Uh, wow. And he's a huge Star Wars fan as well, so he—he'll—he'll he, he'll, like. Pick me up on any um, inaccuracies as well as uh, the story works. <laughs> oh man, so so I can imagine. I mean, you were you were pretty geeked when when you got the ask. What was what was his reaction when you said, "Hey, Dad's gonna write Star Wars"? Oh, brilliant! I mean, he's he's he's, he's been absolutely brilliant because you know we like uh, he, he comes to the gym with me and we'd sit on the um, on the exercise bikes and I'd go, "Right, I'm thinking about a story," you know. You know, lots of ideas. You know, some that didn't get used. I'm thinking about a story about Excalibur with a lightsaber. That's mm. you know, it's brainstorm, and he'd, he'd input into the stories a little bit, and you know, um, and that kind of thing. And you know, we bounce back and forth, and um, so he's 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 been brilliant. And yeah. yeah, I mean, he's got a copy of the book upstairs. I mean, he, him and my daughter were both thanked in the um, in the front of the book. Yeah, um, well, well, we um, we thank yeah. them as well then for for the for the input <laughs> because it got us great stories. That's so cool. Yeah. So, so in terms of perfect age, I, I, I kind of think that they really are for any age. I mean, I guess maybe ten is probably the youngest, mm-hmm. maybe or eight to ten, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but then beyond that, I, you know, I wouldn't put a limit on it. No, but, um, no. I, I mean, I, I think that it, it's it's not wrong to say that at any age we kind of do need a fundamental reminder of some of these stories sometimes or some of these lessons. I mean, it's. Sometimes yeah. when stuff gets really hard, if you just go into an old school myth or a new myth now that has a, a good story and a moral, it's like, oh, right. Okay, yes. Let me remember that as I go into my big adult life of, of a story that yeah. I learned as a 10-year-old. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it is, you know, 
we get into these complicated situations when you get into the gray areas of adulthood, but you really can draw on the simplicity of some of these myths, and they still apply, even in some of the most complex situations. And it's actually a perfect segue into our next question for you, um, because, you know, each individual story in Myths and Fables has its own moral or at least its own major idea. But what is the biggest thing that you hope that readers take away from the book as a whole? Oh, wow. I've not even thought of an answer for that question. What's the biggest thing? I think it's got to be something to do with creativity and stories and, um, and what stories are and what they can do and um, kind of the stuff I was talking about in the, in the introduction that we talked about yeah. um, that idea that that all stories matter and it doesn't matter whether they're true stories or um, they're fiction whether they're written by a kid or an adult um, whether they're written down on, and printed or told um, orally um, I think you know stories are what make us who we are and i think um and they, you know stories define our, our history i think stories will be the things we carry you know the, the lessons they carry the lessons of the past into the future i guess yeah so um i think that's probably that's probably you know it sounds sounds quite grand i suppose I but that's... Say, for, for not knowing an answer to that question that's pretty beautiful of an answer I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah I... I mean that's kind of why we all get into Star Wars in the first place, right? Is is because of the, it's yeah. a story, and it's and it helps us again when we're younger figure out kind of how to be like you like you were mentioning as a kid, you know how it, what would Luke or Leia do in this situation can help you out, and same now with kids reading this book, like okay, how how can these myths and these stories help my life, and how can they bring me joy when I'm sad or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. And and I think I said this at New York Comic Con on the panel, actually, um, and got a cheer from someone in the audience. Um, but I think one of the things about Star Wars is it helps you to think about what's the right thing, not the easy thing. Yeah. Because that's mm-hmm. that's that seems to be one of the core lessons of the, from, from the Rebels and Luke mm-hmm. um, and, and, and Han, actually, um, is, is, is a great um, person who exemplifies that, a good character. Mm-hmm. The easy thing is to run away, and the hard thing is to stay and fight against the odds. In their case, mm-hmm. but that, that's that's often a question we have to ask ourselves throughout our lives. I think, isn't it? It's, you know, what presented with a situation, do I do the easy thing or do I do the the, the, the right thing? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. Well, now you you mentioned New York Comic Con, so let, let's let's jump in. So at New York Comic Con, there are a <laughs> bunch of projects announced, but one specific project. Was a, was a huge shock to us and a joyous surprise. A surprise to be sure, but a welcome one. Was <laughs> the sequel to this book, Star Wars Dark Legends. So please, yeah. we know you can't say much. but I can't say a lot. You can't say a lot. But um, uh, what can readers expect from this book? Um, what, what excites you the most about it? The, the floor is yours for this new project. So basically, you know, I think I mentioned when I put together the initial ideas for this story, there were, there were tons we couldn't use. Right. Mm-hmm. Now that's not to say we just we've taken the stories we didn't use and put them in the new book, um, but more that it was a um, example of kind of how far we can go with with this type of story and how you know, and um, some of the some of the stories are quite dark as you mentioned things like Gaze of Stone you know and um, Mike Siglain had said to me you know I'd love to do a book for Halloween that that follows on like a um, scary spooky stories mm-hmm. but done in the same way, 
so yeah, basically we just we decided let's just not stop, let's just do another round. So I just kind of put together another twenty story ideas, um, and pitched them out, and they picked the ones they liked best again, and refined them down. And, I, and I've just been working on. Them. In fact, just before you call, I was just finishing one of the stories that's that's going in the book. Oh my um, god! Awesome, and it's called. Um, <laughs> I can't say. I can't say. Oh, we tried. To. Um, the one story we talked about at um, at New York Comic Con is called the Orphanage, and that's the, that's the one I mentioned with. Um, um, Grand, the Grand Inquisitor has um, mm. lost Rati. The idea, it's an orphanage that's um, on a kind of pretty deserted world. It's, at, it's after the Clone Wars have finished. Mm. It's where a lot of the children have been sent who've lost their parents in the Clone Wars. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And they have, um, and you know, pretty grim place because mm. um, the world itself that they're on has been, um, you know, brutalised by the Clone Wars as well. Mm. And there's a story, and you follow a new girl who's arrived, um, and the story is amongst the children of this creature that comes in the night through the window and, and takes away some of the special kids. Ooh, um, yeah. What happens after that, basically? So, uh, and then, and Grant's, I, won't, I, won't, I, mean, I didn't even know we were announcing the book on the panel until that day. Oh my God. Um, and then wow. Mike said, Mike said, oh, we can, we can talk about it. I was like, oh, this is brilliant. <laughs> I hadn't seen the logo and I hadn't seen the, the, the mock-up of the art. Um, and it's literally just a sketch from, from Grant, but he's got the Grand Inquisitors kind of doing the Nosferatu pose. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's tremendous. Yeah. So, I mean, to give you, a, again, to give you an idea of the flavor of the book, um, the working title, which is obviously not, we're not using, we're calling it Dark Legends, but the working title was Siths, Siths and Legends. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Oh, no, um, I, want, I want an alternate printing now. <laughs> um, so um, it's, it's, that's, that's the flavor of it, you know. So um, Stories of the Dark Side mm-hmm. to Tell at Night coming out for Halloween next year. Oh, awesome. I, well, I mean, when we talked about myths and fables for the first time on the podcast, we, we were saying, you know, we love this so much. And can't there just be more because of this because of the style, you know, because they're all individual stories. Yeah. And we were happy to see that we were right. <laughs> I mean, because I hope that, you know, obviously we're so excited for this book and I'm sure we'll be talking about it a lot as the year goes on. Um, but again, that's a Halloween one then. Maybe there's another one of another style because apparently if you can just bust out twenty story ideas, I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, twenty ideas. Yeah. Uh, not all of them are necessarily good. Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 would love to keep going, and I, mm. we'll have to see, how, you know, whether that's something Lucasfilm want to do. Mm. You know, I, I'll keep writing Star Wars till, um, till they forcibly take their pen out of my hand. Brilliant. Um, so you know, fingers crossed for for this and other projects. You know, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to contribute a, a novel to the EU at some point as well. I mean, we'd, we'd oh. love to read it. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah, absolutely. Bring it on. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers yeah. crossed. Hey, ours too. Um, now, we actually like to round out all of our interviews with the same question. We like to ask some deeper questions on this podcast. So I'm going to warn you up front, this one's a little bit of a doozy. Um, <laughs> okay. But essentially, Star Wars is a constantly growing and evolving story like we've been talking about. And it is molded and informed by every single character and every content creator uh, that that becomes a part of the story. And with your contributions, what is the legacy that you hope to leave behind for yourself in the Star Wars universe? What do you want to be remembered for when fans think of George Mann? What do you want to be known for? That is a that is a tough question. What do I want to be known for? 
I guess uh, it's, it's a two-part answer. I guess I suppose if I'm if a big ambition, I suppose would, was it, I'd, I'd like people to 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 look at these two books and think there's someone who broke the mold a little bit and, yeah. and told some stories in a different way, so a, a new slant on on the Star Wars universe. I guess that's that would be my big ambition. Failing that. The guy who created Darth Kaldoth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, well, that one's in the bag, and I think you're well on the way to the first one as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fingers crossed. No, I hope so. Yeah. That would be, be nice. I mean, no question. Um, for us here at Utini, and my, my, myself especially, I think this this book and your work have really opened us up to maybe some unknown preconceptions we had about storytelling, about you know, oh, if it's, if it's an all-ages book, does that mean that I can't read it and enjoy it? Or if it's going back to stories I loved as a kid, can I not now enjoy them as an adult? And you have absolutely smashed those. And we cannot wait for you to keep writing more of those stories. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's that's wonderful to hear. Yeah. And we'll get that Dark Kaldoth full novel before long, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> the best. Oh, so... Before we close things out officially, we want to give you a moment to plug uh, your social media accounts, websites, anything upcoming. Where can our listeners go find you and what should they be looking out for? So the best place to find me is on Twitter. Um, that's usually where I'll be. It's at George underscore man. I do. I'm on Facebook, too. Um, I am very, very bad at updating my website because I'm usually writing. So I don't I don't. Which is good, do though, right? And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's not it's not really up to date, but Twitter's where you'll you'll find all the latest news mm-hmm. and um, stuff coming up. Well, you know about Dark Legends. Yeah. Um, I've got um, another Nubian Hobbs book in the works, Lovely. Um, which is my my own kind of steampunk series. Um, some new comics coming from um, a couple of publishers um, next year. So um, yeah, I mean you know. People, if they enjoy myths and fables, hopefully they'll enjoy some of my other work. Absolutely, go check uh, that out. No and uh, no and again, uh, we're gonna we're gonna send some thanks to you and to your son for for giving you all those great story ideas. <laughs> so if, if you, you yeah. for our listeners, definitely you've heard us uh, list off a bunch of George's work. And if for some reason you haven't picked up myths and fables yet, head over to utini.com, read our review of how much we loved it, and go pick it up yourself uh, so you can get ready for Dark Legends next Halloween. Oh, but with that, we'd like to thank you, George, once more for taking the time to visit us here. It's It's been so lovely having you on, and we truly hope you'll, you so you'll come on again and we can chat more about some stories. Absolutely. Yeah, give me a shot anytime. Will do. Awesome. So that, my friends, will do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you are new here, don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and tune in every week to hear us at Utini talk about the Star Wars Expanded Universe, sometimes with George Mann. Uh, please leave us a review over on iTunes to help people find us and head over to utini.com for reviews, articles, and comprehensive book profiles on every single story in the Star Wars galaxy. If you're looking to buy some books like Myths and Fables and you want to help support the show, look up your book on Utini, click the Amazon link on the profile, and we'll get a few cents to help keep the lights on. If you'd like to help us out a little more directly, you can find us over on patreon.com slash utini where you can join Dylan Sasser, Adam Dyson, Timothy Dunlap, Royal Farm Boy, Chris Richmond, Juliana Mendez, Adrian Carlson, Ross Graco, and Terratano. If you want your thoughts on this show, email us at livingforcepod at utini.com, tweet at us at livingforcepod, or join our Utini Discord community by going to utini.com slash discord. You can find us individually. We are all on Twitter. I am at Eric Eilerson. Corey, when he's here, is at DocStarWarsMD, and Charles is at C. Hankel. 
A special thank you as always to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Freddie, our producer, and Wes, our community manager. Thank you to George and Charles for podcasting with me this week. And as always, may the force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it. Live by it. And above all, trust in the living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online at utini.com. Until next time, may the Force be with you. How many times has this happened to you? I just finished reading Luke Skywalker in the Shadows of Mindor, but what should I read next? Worry not, Star Wars fans, because Utini is here to save the day. What's a Utini? Utini.com is the place to go before you pick up that next Star Wars EU novel. From A-Wings to Zori Bliss, let the team at Utini be your guide to all things EU. Legends to canon, Utini has you covered. Hey there, Padawan. You look like you're a Yoda fan. I sure am. He's the coolest. Then use Utini's super search engine to discover novels and comics that feature our short green friend. So visit Utini.com today because now there's a better way to discover the Star Wars expanded universe. And now live on the website, the Utini Bookshelf 3.0. 3.0 is the way to go. Yeah.